Welcome to Your Adventure Podcast, a motivational podcast without the screaming. A hosted, unedited conversation with guests from all walks of life, sharing their own personal journey, showing that everyone has different outlooks on life, choice of career, and that success looks different for everyone. Get ready to be inspired and be enlightened of how we all have similar journeys and thoughts. Anything is possible. This is Your Adventure Podcast, and this is Dustin Emery. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Your Adventure Podcast, and this is your host as always, Dustin Emery, and today I have a pretty good guest in the studio today, uh, Stephen Augusto. I hope I said that oh, right. Oh, yeah, Augusto, you got it. I know you said August in Spanish, so yeah. I've actually never heard that name before. Augusto, yeah, it's, uh, I did my research as a, come from Italy, kind of like Augustus, okay. Augustus, you know, Augusto, um, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but it's like, I'm Puerto, from Puerto Rican descent, so mm. obviously when people started coming over, they stopped in the Caribbean islands, and that's where you get all these names from Spain, Italy, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, they did. we have all these weird names. Well, uh, yeah, growing up in the Bronx, I'm, I'm assuming it was pretty uh, diversified, right? Oh, man. I, I tell the story uh, every single time uh, when I try to explain the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like going through the aisles of the supermarket. Okay. <laughs> because just in my building alone, mm-hmm. every floor is pretty much a different culture. It, oh. it is amazing. It's like if you're switching through the radio. Mm-hmm. So you may come in on the first floor... And it may be the Dominican family mm. playing bachata music and the doors open and she's sweeping the hallway and you smell them frying plantains and salami and all this stuff. Mm. And then you go over to the second floor as you're heading up, you got the Jamaican family and you got some, you know, old school Bob Marley or some reggae music playing and then you smell like the oxtail stew uh, mm. cooking. Then you go to the third floor and you may have your... You know, your Puerto Rican family uh, cooking arroz con gandules and dancing salsa. So it's like, it's crazy as you go through the floors, every culture and every family. And that's how diverse just one floor is. You know, each store may be a different culture, a different family. And it's it's definitely amazing. That's cool, man. I mean, I've, I've, only, I've been to New York once, which was like two years ago. But uh, I didn't visit the Bronx very much. But uh, just being there in general, having basically what you talked about the diversity is like the food was amazing like there was so much to choose from definitely i, I couldn't get through it all honestly but i did love uh your supermarket and supermarket analogy because some of the supermarkets i went to were like that like there was everything available it was kind of crazy i loved it though every single thing available just because you have like i said so many mm. different cultures uh yeah. new york is a melting pot so when you go to new york it's like like i said and the crazy thing about i love about new york mm. is you can you know, here in California, right? Yeah. You have, what are the three major uh, uh, countries you see in California? Like, pretty much. Definitely Mexico, that's for Mexican, sure. Mexican, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the black community, you mm-hmm. have the white community, and maybe some Filipinos. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think you have a big Filipino community. Filipino, for sure. Especially in this little town, baby. In this yeah. town. Yeah. And, Filipino, and, for sure. So, so those are like the four main kind of... I mean, races or whatever mm-hmm. you say, you, you kind of find out here. Four groups. Yeah, New York City is not like that. No. And the people mix in so much and people mix race. Like, you could be 
that's where you see all these people who are like, oh, I'm a quarter mm. Irish, Jamaican, Puerto Rican, and mm. Australian, you know, some random race, just because people like in New York City, people, everybody mixes in together that you don't yeah. know what the person is. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And yeah, they just, yeah, it's funny. But I did love New York. Um, but uh, growing up in the Bronx, you know, what what did you think about? What was your what was your first dream as a kid? I'm assuming the Bronx is uh, not easy. Yeah, um, you <clears throat> know, you think about growing up, um, you have to grow up pretty, pretty fast in the Bronx. I mean, um, your childhood is not you don't get to enjoy childhood like a normal childhood. By mm. the time you're 10, 12 years old, you know, you're quote unquote working, you know, either selling drugs, um, working at the supermarket, ba- packing bags. Mm. Summertime, you're trying to use the fire hydrant to wash cars to make money. Okay. Um, you're helping the little old lady, you know, wear her bags from the supermarket just to get a dollar or two, you know. So, um, New York City childhood is totally, totally different. But me, I wanted to uh, always, always wanted to work for the government. Uh, I was like in love with the concept of being a spy. Okay. Uh, you know, working for the FBI, traveling mm. the world, all that kung fu, you know, movie stuff. Like mm. that was like my dream always to to work for the government, work for like a secret agency, one of those things. Well, I mean, that's actually kind of a pretty good segue though, because um, you kind of went that route. Uh, when you said that you, when we talked earlier, you joined the military, it might not be FBI or spy, but military, um, the thing you did, uh, that you wrote down was chemical warfare. Yes. So, so how did that, how'd you get from the Bronx to chemical warfare? So, um, like I said, I, I always was in love with the fact of being a soldier, uh, mm. you know, working for the government, protecting the country, doing all this high speed, high fun stuff. And, you know, kids you know playing cops and robbers and mm. imagining stuff and all these laser guns and you know things you do as a kid oh, yeah. um so i uh obviously i i wanted to join the military my first step i wanted to either be a cop or you know start somewhere to get mm. into government agency um but at that time i didn't finish uh high school mm. um and i had a gd and to be a cop in new york city was extremely hard. Like they only opened up the test once a year. Really? Yeah. It's that because they have so many, so many and it's hard. I don't know if it's a budget issue wow. or whatever the case is, but you can't just be a cop in New York city. Uh, mm. It's extremely hard. And then after they open up that one test a year, spots fill up really, really quick. And mm. then you can't, that's it. You have to wait a whole nother year to how become many, a cop. How many, uh, how many spots do they have available? Uh, it's for the whole city. I mean, you're talking about millions and millions of people. I know that's they, that's they, what I'm asking. They I'm probably like, have. So uh, I think each class is probably about 300. Okay. And you have how many people? How many high school kids trying to take the test? And people who actually went to school for criminal justice mm-hmm. and everything else. You have to pretty much know somebody to to get into that. So now, does 300 actually graduate though? You know what I mean? Obviously not. I, but I feel like 100 maybe. If you're 100 lucky. at most. You know, people. It's like the military. People mm. sign up. It doesn't mean that you're. It's for you. Or, yeah. Are you gonna make it? And you may go in there. You know, I don't want to deal with this stuff and, mm. and not do it. But pretty much, I I um I wanted to join the military, and I had this long list of things that I um jobs I could pick. Right. Mm. So me and my brother, 
he's actually he's not my blood brother. He's my best friend. I know him since two years old. Okay, um, yeah, close enough, man. I get it. Two I get years it. old. I'm yeah, talking about I we get have it. me blowing out my second birthday candle. Yeah, he's right there. And I'm 32, so we know each other for 30 years, practically oh. my whole life. So yeah, he's that's my brother. A, that's a brother. I get it. Um, me and him, um, both went to join the military. We wanted to do special forces. Hmm. Um, I kind of at the time I had a uh, ex girlfriend. You know how that goes, hmm. and the special forces program was going to be gone for three years. No contact with your family. You're gone. None of that. And my brother, he's one of those people where he is a lone wolf and Mm. he's, he, he could do it. And he was good with it. He was good of separating. I'm always big. I always been really big into family. So to me, it was hard to be away from my family that long. Yeah. I Um, can imagine. So I decided to do chemical warfare. So, um, chemical warfare in the military the base of chemical warfare, it is boring, right? Okay. What's the boring side? Boring side is you're the guy in the cage with all these chemical masks and chemical suit and mm-hmm. mop gear, and you pretty much sit in an office until you're ready to be used. And then one, twice a year when they have to get, um, what's the word, um, past their, ins- their inspection, okay. you, you get to put everybody in the gas chamber and make them suffer and throw up and, and have fun. <laughs> oh, That's pretty much the, okay. the, ba- the basic fun you know thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're attached to a chemical unit, which I got lucky enough to do, you do a lot more fun stuff. Um, we did, uh, I was lucky enough to get qualifying a lot of different things. Fox mm-hmm. vehicle, uh, Lima 4, which was another Bud's vehicle. Um, I got hazmat certified. So we were the guys that, if you've seen those movies when there's a virus going around and yeah. they don't know what it is and they send the guys, the military guys in a hazmat suit. But that's you? To, that was me. Okay. And I come to school. So we, we definitely got to do a lot of fun stuff and go into scenarios. And we used to travel a lot um, throughout the United States, train police department, um, train the fire, fire department, uh, train a lot of government agencies on uh, if we were going to get attacked by a chemical uh, like agent or whatever the case is, we're the guys that come set up. Uh, close it off. Take samples. Do do the whole uh, decon thing. We used to do it all. Was uh, were you ever exposed to anything like pretty bad? Uh, no. So part of the job is that you'll have to go uh, annually to this training in uh, Fort Lenawood, mm-hmm. Missouri, where they actually have live agents, and I'm talking about live agents from even Vietnam War. Oh wow! And you will have to go through this, and they will like release a fly, and you'll see it just die. You know. So you have to witness it and go yeah, through it? Yeah, witness it, take samples. It's an actual life agent. Yeah. And you have to make sure your your uniform is properly sealed and mm. all this stuff you have to go through make sure that you're certified to do this. You know, it's part of your, your job. Yeah. So um That sounds super intense, man. It, it's it's fun, <laughs> but it's again, there was this is also the time where um 9-11, them getting into Afghanistan, all this mm. stuff. So it was definitely interesting because, remember, they were looking for yeah. chemical weapons and all this stuff. So we were always on high alert for any little thing. Then we had the anthrax scare, you know, mm. all this stuff uh, we were part of. So it was fun. You know, we always had to stay trained, ready to go. Mm. Um, also, before my time, we still had a, a chemical uh, officer. Back in the day, you actually had to get burned for, with the chemical. Really? To get past, yeah, and they all had it on the hand. It was like a little, it looked like a cigarette, cigarette burn. Oh wow! On their hand, and he was he retired probably mm. the first year I got in there, but he was the last uh, chemical warfare soldier who had the old school burn. Old school burn, where they ha- you actually had to get a burn from the chemical. 
Man, isn't it crazy how like some of the old school like stuff from back in the day they did just like crazy shit like they, that? They, the government. Because why would you do that now? That's insane. It, it's it is insane, and it's crazy. Uh, obviously, you sign a whole bunch of paperwork. Yeah. that you can't talk about stuff. Yeah. But after a certain amount of time, I've been out of the military now for like a good maybe nine years. How so, long? You, how long did you serve? Uh, five years. Okay. And um. I've been kind of military to where the waivers are no longer used. You know, they have, they're so advanced now. Whatever I talk about is not like anything they're going to come oh, okay. from me. So, right. but, you know, they used to have, back in the day, they used to do a lot of those animal testings, you know, mm-hmm. goats, and you'll see how some of these chemo- chemical agents affect the human body. You know, the animal will go stiff, yeah. and then their eyeballs will pop up. You know, crazy, crazy. Obviously, because of situations, we don't do to anim- that to animals anymore, or whatever yeah. the case is, but... The old school methods were definitely, definitely yeah intense. It is before basically we figured out we need rules for this yeah, shit. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's funny even like in the psychology background for myself, like listening and seeing some of the old school experiments yeah. on stuff. Like, dude, you're like, what were you thinking? Yeah, I'm like, dude, you can't get away with this. This is now. torture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's torture exactly. Really torture. So I can understand uh, at least from that perspective, but man, dude, that's intense, man. Um, you didn't think about anything else but chemical warfare. You just um, so, or did you just so fell into it. There was three, uh, like I said, there was three options. Um, there was chemical warfare. Mm-hmm. There was psyops, which okay. is uh, psychological warfare, mm-hmm. and then obviously special forces. Mm-hmm. Um, psychological warfare was also one of those intense programs, and I have a couple of buddies who are still in who are did psychological warfare, and psychological warfare will be the kind of where they will lock you in a room with playing um a barney song for 24 hours mm. into your ears bleed and then come and ask you a question that kind of like intense Damn. uh psychological remember it's mm-hmm. a psychological it is. or they'll play something over and over and over and over until you're crazy like you're going crazy like mm-hmm. play a bird sound 24 hours you know these kind of thing or if they're hostages uh um people kidnappers holding hostages in the house mm-hmm. and they'll play uh Queen, over and over and over the same song, over and over and over again, blasting through the radios into the they go crazy. That mm-hmm. that's the kind of things they did for uh, psychological warfare. I mean, that sounds um, I don't know. That sounds interesting and fun. I don't know why. <laughs> Just listening to that, at least I wouldn't want to be the person in the room. In the room, <laughs> but like maybe kind of watching and see like what happens, you know. But at but least if, it's a little bit less. You, if you go back into even uh back in during I mean, World War Two or or. Some some of the stuff that the uh, Germans did, you know, with uh, yeah. all these social experiments they did with people uh, in a room and they kept them up for two mm-hmm. weeks straight and they started going crazy, you know, uh, just leaving the light on for two weeks straight and then mm-hmm. keeping them up and people started clawing their eye towels and doing all this crazy stuff because they were sleep deprived, you know, and all this stuff. So, so. You know, it always makes me think of prison when, uh, what is it, um, solitary confinement? Yeah. Like... Uh, like I don't think people realize what that does to a person to it, literally just be confined in a room by themselves for hours on end. Hours I don't and really hours and... think people think about it. No, and it, and people think like, oh, what you you by yourself in a room? Okay, but yeah, that's you at home in a comfy bed, and yeah. you can literally walk out and go to use the restroom or walk into the kitchen and grab something to eat. Imagine yeah, that's not being alone. No, that's no. you won't be able to take a shower if you're in uh, solitary confinement for. Two weeks. You're not taking a shower for two weeks. You're no. literally in that room for 24 hours. You sleep, poop, yeah, everything in that room. Yeah, I don't think people realize the intensity of it now. And that's where 
you know, you with your background, you know how it can mentally messes people up. Uh, mm-hmm. The prison system. Now, uh, um, was your military choice uh, a hard choice for your family in the Bronx? Uh, yeah. So because I know you said you were close. I'm, I was really, really close uh, with my with my family. Uh, my mm-hmm. mom was always a, a hard worker. She always worked uh, two to three jobs. My mom was always oh, wow. working, working, working. Um, and I owe a lot of my work ethic to my mom because she's definitely, you know, growing up poor in the Bronx mm. from welfare and Section 8, she worked her way up to get out of that thing where we didn't need no more help from the government. She has a good job at a hospital. Nice. Um, a lot of things, you know, like she... People loved her. You know, she she used to work at Yankee Stadium. She was in charge of, of half of the stadium uh, in Yankee Stadium. So, oh, damn. Um, nice. And she worked at a diner. And she, I mean, she did it. She, she did, did it all. Uh, all. So a lot of my work ethic comes from my mother. And since her always been working, uh, I, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Mm. So my grandma was like my second mom, mm. you know, and I, I was raised by my grandma. My mom was always working. I was with my grandma. And... At a young age, like I said, you start working. You start trying to provide for your family because you, you you hate seeing the struggle. Mm. Um, and like I said, I've been working since I was like 14 years old, doing things. Some good things, some bad things. And I even started working at a a, a bakery when I was uh, 16 years old. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, she was working at a bakery downtown. Mm. And I was at the time a little too young, but they were already... Uh, get me a job with the school paperwork back then you had to get like a oh, okay yeah like, like a, a little work form permit kind of, yeah, like a work, work permit. permit yeah and i was able to start working at, at a bakery in downtown um to provide for my family i used to be the graveyard so i used to go to school and then work from eight o'clock at night to eight o'clock in the morning and then go to school that day oh wow and and try to just bring it's a long day dude a long for 16 it's for 16 i used yeah. to do it weekends i used to do it thursday through sunday hmm. which was still you know those Thursday, Fridays were definitely, Busy definitely days. tough uh, on work and, and, and school and everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, getting back to the point, uh, I love, love my family. It was super, super difficult for me when I told them that I wanted to join the military. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they were scared. War was happening. Um, yeah. They were like, oh, why would you want to do that? You're, you're smart enough. You're a hard worker. You could be doing a lot more things. You could be a cop. Like you said, you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know what? Why the military? And I was like, no, I need to get out of this environment and go better myself so I can help you guys out. And me being so close with my grandmother, I had a, a sit down with my cousins and everything. And we had a conversation. I was like, look, we all love our grandma. Our family's close, but I'm mm-hmm. going to take this journey for myself. I need to start thinking about my future. Mm-hmm. I need you guys to step in and start helping out with grandma and everything else. And uh, when I joined the military, the family definitely, we were already close, but we got much closer and everybody started doing their part. You know, while I was away uh, doing trainings mm-hmm. all over the United States, they were making sure they were grandma. They would send me videos. They would, they, everybody was pretty much doing their part. You guys are staying connected. Yeah, That's staying good. connected and, and everything else. So it was definitely put me at ease and I had such a supportive family. They were like, hey, we'll support you in whatever you want to do. Um, if the only thing holding you back is grandma, don't worry, we'll take care of her. And That's it was nice. definitely, definitely, I appreciate my cousins and my family for that. Now you're 32, so when did you join? I was like straight out. Eight, eight. I was 19, prop 18. I think I just turned 18. Okay. So obviously, like I said, I'm I'm really good with my hands. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a chef, but um, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah. But um, I just I'm not a good student. 
Mm. I get bored easily. I cannot sit in a in a classroom and. You mean the, you mean like just listen to lecture like because yeah, yeah, that's I, boring. I give you that. Yeah, it's just like I was never a good student to just sit there and just like mm. uh, and. I was just in really. I wasn't really a good student, and then, and all my teachers told me the same thing. You're smart. You have the the potential. You're just, just a bad student. <laughs> I'm just. I yeah. cannot do it. I would get bored easily. Mm. Um, but to join the military, I needed to have. Since I had a GD, I quit and got a GD, and I passed my GD first try. Everything, mm-hmm. pretty much flying colors, and they're like, "Why did you just not finish school? Yeah, if you're this smart." But I'm just like, I couldn't do it because I didn't want to get left behind. I just wanted to get my GD. I started college and I had to do uh, one semester of college to meet the requirement, which was a GD and 15 college credits. For the military? Really? For the military. Wow. At that time. Dang. That's so, changed though, I think, right? Yeah. A lot I think of, it's it, just it GD changed, now. It changes yeah. every year. Sometimes yeah, yeah. they didn't accept GD. Sometimes it was only high school diploma. Sometimes you needed, when they want to minimize, they want to start kicking people out, they make the, the requirements much, harder. much harder, you know. At that time... All they needed was, they made it harder because they added the 15 college credits. Yeah. So it's like one semester. Yeah, it's one, one semester. semester. Yeah, one so semester. So I did the one semester and signed up and, and took off. Okay. Dang. All right. Um. So so you did mention it, uh, Chef, and you go with your hands. So how does how does one find like their love for food in the military? <laughs> doing Doing what you did. You know, I, I'm watching a chemical agent kill a fly that I just released. Yeah. And, and now, I'm, now I'm making, you know, flambés and, you know, yeah. things later on in life. Like, how, how does that, yeah, how does that work exactly? That's, you know, that's so such funny. a big step. Some people were like, you went from chemical warfare to to cooking. Yeah. I'm like, are you sure you're not trying to kill anybody? I'm like, no, 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 that's not even you like And kill people with your food? Oh, man. No, well, actually, um, it's a funny story. Um when I got into the military, mm. I was a uh, first duty station I ever got coming straight from the city life, Bronx, mm. New York, Times Square, you name it. I get stationed in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Okay. Fort Polk, Louisiana, it's literally the center of Louisiana, swamp area. Mm. I mean, humid, right? Humid. Yeah. I've never been so. In the middle of nothing. Yeah. When I say nothing, there's literally nothing. Literally, the biggest thing into town is a mm. Walmart. Oh, so that's like uh, that's that's the, that's the excitement. That it's it. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. the base mm. and Walmart. So, damn, I get to this this uh, this uh, small town Leesville, which is the the airport outside of uh, the base, mm. and it's literally a small plane. You know, I land in Dallas, and then from Dallas, they they send us over to uh, Louisiana, mm. and this plane is rattling. It's about maybe twelve rows back. Two per- people per row. It's like a small plane, really, mm. really small plane. And we landed this airport, and this airport literally has just two terminals. Oh dang! Practically yeah, for two small. planes for uh, out a day or whatever. Mm. So I get there, and I was in a military airport. They have this little old man. Think of the show Swamp People, or okay. Swamp whatever. The I remember that oh, show. Actually, Is you it know, actually you know that that show with the ducks, Duck Dynasty? That's what I was thinking. The of. uncle. Yeah. Think of that guy, the uncle with the beard or the dad, whatever, with the long beard. Okay. The old man. Yeah. It's literally a guy like that standing there with a sign saying, you know, um, Fort Polk, Louisiana, whatever. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, and are that, you taking me? Oh, okay. He was taking you. He okay. was taking me. I just a you. guy there, like soldiers, whatever. For I'm like, yeah. okay. I get him. He like, let me see your orders. He looks at my paperwork. He has this old school minivan. I'm like should i just be going on this you're thinking this isn't right i'm like i've seen enough movies yeah like, yeah this yeah is not, it sounds bad this sounds bad yeah he puts us in 
we leave the airport and there's literally a dirt road mm. and then just one lane going this way, one lane going that way. And that's it. And you're surrounded by trees. Oh, man. And I'm there with my Yankee hat, you know. Yeah, you're coming from a very I'm, different environment. I'm going, you know, I'm coming from the city. I still got Timberlands on. Yeah, I got yeah. a jacket. You look and, like you're from the city, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I took I took off my jacket right away because it was, it was like a hundred and something degrees, obviously. I'm burning up, sweating. Yeah. Practically, he drives 45 minutes to to the base. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, once he gets to the base, he makes a left on a dirt road. Okay. There's nothing. Remember, this is just 45 minutes of nothing. straight dirt road and trees he makes a left in this other dirt road and i'm like okay i'm really gonna die now like mm-hmm. this guy's taking me to chop me up or something and all of a sudden we come up to this little gate old soldier comes let me see your id blah blah, blah. lets us in and i'm inside the base Damn. i'm like what did i get myself into mm-hmm. um fast forward um there's obviously nothing in this base, you know. It's I'm in the middle of the South. Hmm. I'm from New York City, never been out of the city before, and now I'm stationed in the middle of nowhere, and I'm going crazy because mm-hmm. I don't have the pizza shop, I don't have the chicken spot, I don't have the Jamaican beef patties, mm-hmm. I don't have anything that I'm so accustomed to. You don't have home. Basically. I don't have home and yeah. no sign of it. Like literally nothing. The only thing that you see is that one big M, the McDonald's, right outside the base. That's and everywhere. Even they, in the smallest little places. I hate that. You're always going to find a Walmart everywhere. and a McDonald's. Yeah. Chelsea. It's freaking everywhere. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So obviously I've been there for a year or two. I, you know, been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we're state, we're in the barracks. I, at that time, I'm a single soldier. And they offer, obviously give us breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Cafeteria. But think about it. It's cafeteria food. It's like you're it's going to. be great. It's definitely not great. Everything's salted. Because that's the only thing that brings flavor, right? Yeah, it's, you have to literally, everything is actually unsalted. They make everything so healthy. And, you know, it's, you have to, like, no you gotta flavor. You got to add it. You got to add it. Yeah. So I got tired of eating that food, and I would most of the time miss my meals because I don't want to eat it. And I was also spending too much money, obviously, buying McDonald's and doing, and that's not good for you. Yeah. Um, To where I started calling my grandmother for recipes. Like, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? Mm. But I didn't have a kitchen. Because the barracks room is like kind of like dorms. Yeah. You have a little fridge, two rooms on each end of the room, a bathroom, a sink, and that's pretty much it. You don't have anything. So where do you go in the middle of nowhere? Obviously, Walmart. Mm. And I started buying little things from Walmart, a little rice cooker, a little George Foreman grill, you know, a little pot to, with, with the little electric stovetop mm-hmm. that you could just plug in and cook rice or whatever. And I started, literally made my whole kitchen in, in, my, in my room. And okay. then I will call her and I just ask her, hey, uh, how do you make this? How do you make this? And she would tell me, you know, oh, you need two fingers of this and a pinch of this. And I'm like, Great no idea. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what she's talking about. Yeah, Literally, yeah. I'm like, uh, Grandma, you know, my my two fingers is probably the size of your hand. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, what yeah. is one pinch? Like, so obviously working child and as I'm cooking, I, the smell would go through the barracks room, right? Oh, you became popular, didn't yes. you? Yes. Yeah. So okay. it started going to where people like, what's that? Um, what's that? I smell something, and I started. They started sending me seasonings from back home. Oh, okay. The sazon, the adobo, and all this other stuff. And I started cooking all this stuff, and people started knocking on my door, like, mm-hmm. "Hey, uh, hey, what's going on in there? What, what are you doing?" I'm like, oh, "I'm just cooking." They're like, "Cooking? What are you cooking? I've never smelled that before." I'm like, "Oh, this is like." Traditional Puerto Rican style pork chops or arroz con guandule or arroz con pollo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, 
do you have enough? I'm like, yeah, I have a whole pot. I didn't have no measurements. I just have a big old pot of rice. I'm like, yeah, come on in. I started spreading. Every day, it got to the point where every, every day, every weekend, there'll be a line out my door and people will be like, hey, I have beer. Hey, uh, uh, I have this whole, uh, uh, I went shopping. Can you cook? And you don't have to pay for anything. Can you just, can you, can you just cook? They just, they just want you your skill, basically. Yeah, they yeah. just wanted us to cook. And I'm doing like, again, I'm not no Mission to Star Chef. I wasn't popping up stuff crazy. But I was doing like, hey, I, I'm watching the Food Network. They have this stuffed burger with cheese and a fried egg on top and mm. five slices of bacon and well, hey, that looks good. You want guys want to eat that? Let's try to do make it. it. Yeah, and I'll try to make it. And we're there making ribs and making these crazy uh, inventions that we saw in on TV. And we're just grubbing, missing food, drinking, having a good time. And it started getting uh, popular and popular to the point where I decided that I wanted to get out and become a chef. Dang, I mean, that's some humble beginnings too. Because like, um, uh, I used to live in the studio, so when you when you talked about your rice cooker and like the little foreman grill, yeah, like the, the little George foreman grill. It made me, it made me go back to my studio apartment because I, I had to create something small like that because I didn't have a kitchen. It was so idea. it's like, and you know, I, I definitely wasn't on your cooking level, but I remember just like trying to cook little stuff like that in my apartment setup. And you went, yeah, you went big time, dude. No, and and obviously I had the great setup. My mm. room was like, and it's funny because my military friends could tell you I had like the first floor, mm. so. Obviously, the smoke area was right in front of my room. They had like this little gazebo and the grill. So my room ended up being like a makeshift kitchen. We'll open up the window. I always, you know, I'm from New York City. We like music. We like music loud. Yeah. I'm the one with the sound system. So I'll put the speaker on the window. Everybody's drinking, smoking outside, and I'm passing food through the window as I'm cooking. Like, hey, That's pass awesome. me a beer from the cooler. You know, we're going back and forth, and it's it became like a uh, became a tradition. Like a, yeah, like yeah. A, a party room with the light. and then we started obviously again Walmart, the little disco lights, and mm. we started hooking it up. And my room started becoming the the place to be. And, uh, did you guys have a name? Someone had to come up with a no, name. No, I, I mean, name? there probably is their name, but I don't remember. I just know it was just like, at all times, no matter what day it was, there was always somebody at my door. You know, I had to, I had it so set up at that time that my laptop uh, uh, attached to my TV mm-hmm. so I can mirror. So we'll play YouTube yeah. and then have the speakers. I had like this crazy makeshift wires that at that time wasn't really... Uh, didn't have all that type of technology like oh now you can buy anything and you know you can mirror your phone to your yeah. TV and all that they didn't With, have without that. wires just, uh, I think it's just Bluetooth and now yeah really, Bluetooth yeah. and now every, yeah. back then it was the beginning of the HDMI wires <clears throat> and the laptop started coming in and the modern TV started so you was able to attach your TV mm. to your laptop and then Plug. I still do that now. You see what I'm and then the HDMI, well, if you had a modern um, surround system, you was able to plug the surround system mm-hmm. to the TV. And, you know, they had the Bluetooth section or the auxiliary cable. So we had this makeshift party room with everything, and we made it happen. It was definitely Hey, that's time. awesome, though, man. I mean, you, you, you turned your environment into something fun, considering... You know, you were thinking about being chopped up when and you that, got exactly. there. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna go. Cool. I'm gonna go walk, throw away the trash, and the alligator's gonna grab you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, um, so I don't know how long you were at this fort uh, in Louisiana. Did you did you do the same thing when you moved, or was it like this the last spot so, before you got so, out? So, um, Fort Leonard, uh, Fort what? I mean, I'm sorry, Fort Polk. Mm. I was there for the four and a half years. Um, okay. That was my home station, but I would do a lot of traveling yeah. out of there. So since, like I said before, we would do a lot of uh, training of cops and other units and mm. 
all you know training firefighters and everything they will send us all over so will they'll send us to texas one week then they'll send us to uh kansas the next then they send us to chicago then they send us to north carolina so we're gotcha. doing a lot of traveling training with different agencies and doing a lot of joint training and uh agencies um we were t- training with the german army we were training with the australian army i mean the all all, all the armies from all over the world we were doing our different training so mm. It definitely, like I said, I was stationed out of Fort Polk, but we were gotcha. out of everywhere. We but were this just, is, that's where all your cooking happened, though. All my just, cooking happened, yes. It was just yes. that fort. That fort. Okay. I was just curious. I didn't know, like, you moved from fort to fort, because, you know, I know people do. Yeah, yeah. From fort to fort, depending on their assignment, but I was going to say, man, if you left that fort, people would probably be sad, man. No, and it was you definitely... Know? so it's like... Hmm. It was definitely a thing, and then um, I, while I was in the military, I definitely, you know, I got married, mm-hmm. and I had to move out of the barracks. So oh. I got uh, on base housing, and then that technically became the the the, the restaurant now. The restaurant, everybody's yeah. same thing, knocking on the door, and it's a little bit better because, you know, we were we didn't have to worry about, you know, <clears throat> this sergeant or this officer walking to the barracks, and we're walling out. We, uh, we're in a home. We can close the door. We could be yeah. And now you have a kitchen, right? I have like, a kitchen. Actually, you have, have a, kitchen. a full kitchen. Yeah. We have a living room. We could actually enjoy ourselves. We have a mm. porch and everything else. So that's awesome. How long did you? Uh, Live, uh, oh no, that was, once you got out, you move out of that, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so what happened after the military? I obviously met my wife. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually, I had my paper signed, I was actually on my way to Germany for uh-huh. a four year contract, but I uh, injured myself, so I'm injured my knees from from uh, running, I injured my shoulder from fighting. Oh, um, you, you name it, my body was all messed up from the military. Uh, and there's this thing in the military called combatives, okay. which is the military's version of mixed martial arts. Okay. Like UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to do a lot of uh, certifications like that. We used to get trained and fight and all that time. And my body's all jacked up from that, all the training. Oh, okay. So on my way to Germany, um, they gave me an option. They said, you could go to Germany, but then you're pretty much going to be in Germany in recovery for... Uh, you know, in and out of the hospital for two years because we're gonna have to reconstruct your knees. Damn. Uh, you have we're gonna have to do surgery on your ankle. You dislocated your shoulder. You can always have problems. You're gonna have to have surgery on your on your um, shoulder. Mm. You know all this list. And I've had a lot of friends who were pra- practically six surgeries in, and these guys were like 22, 23 years old, um, walking around with canes. And how old are you at this time with I all was, those injuries? I was probably like 23. Oh, so you guys are all on the same page. On the same page, but Damn. these guys were, oh, I'm gonna do surgery because, like me, they love the military. Yeah. But seeing them do all these surgeries, and then they were coming out worse than they were before. Yeah. And that was my issue. I was so dedicated to the military that I wanted to be whole. I want to be like, no, I don't care. I'm gonna run on a messed up knee. Mm. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna go fight three guys for training purposes and get this certification. Mm with a messed up shoulder and all this stuff just to prove, you know, be like, oh, I'm tough, tough, tough. And that just ended up messing my body up more Mm. to the point where I'm like, they gave me two options. You either get um, medically retired Mm. or you uh, uh, go and get all these surgeries and to me and my mind, see what happens happens two to three years from now. And I decided to get out. I was like, I'm like, I'm not going to let a, no offense, I'm not going to let no military doctor touch me. Yeah, just because from what I've seen them do all this damage to you would think it would be better though. Like right? you would think, damn. But my opinion, I've seen it happen, and everybody, like I said, these guys, 
these guys are young. These guys yeah. are some of them were football players, some of them were uh, all American wrestlers. I mean, I've I know guys from all over. They had, you know, amazing careers. Football, mm -hmm. college football, for you know, Division One schools. Like these guys were like athletes, yeah. and then they're coming back, coming out looking like my uh, grandpa. And these guys were like 24 years old, 25 years old, jacked up and surgery after surgery and seeing them not being able to recover, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, it was just, it scared me. And I was like, no, I'd rather heal on my own and take on the civilian world. Figure it out on your own. Figure it out. That's, I mean, it, it, I mean, now you're here. So it definitely was a smart move. Yeah, it's definitely, I, yeah. I don't regret anything. So that's awesome. I mean, that's the biggest thing. No regrets. So. I mean, I still, I still love and miss the military if I ever had a chance to. To do it, I'll obviously, you know. You might think about it. I might think about it. Even mm. now, I'm thinking, like, hey, can I still join and mm. go back? You know, I have those mindset because I love the military so much. But I'm also like, you know what? I'm at a great place in my life right now. I don't need to. Well, I mean, um, since you started so young, it really set up the foundation for you now. Yeah. You know, it was your starting point. You know, um, who knows? Who knows if you would have... Uh, you know, got into cooking the way you did if it wouldn't for the, oh, if it, it wasn't for the military. Exactly, know? I wouldn't. I mean, again, maybe I would have been in a different path, but yeah. just being away from home and missing food and how much have I've accomplished just in cooking, mm. just falling in love in the military with food. Yeah, that had nothing to do with my job, which was chemical warfare. <laughs> yeah, to, oh, totally opposite. To where yeah. I'm at now, it's everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer in everything happens mm. for a reason. It was for. It was meant to happen for me to be stationed in Fort Polk, Louisiana. It yeah. was meant for me to start cooking there and buying those little equipments and, and, mm. and cooking for those people and me growing that passion. And obviously, what, 10 years later, I'm I'm doing it as a career and loving it still. Like, it's still my first day. Mm. So, you get out of the military and you decide, all right, this is it. Like, I want to be a chef. So, we have a funny story with that. Like, yeah. where did you go from there? Okay, so... Obviously, at this time, I'm married. Um, mm. My I met my wife. She's from California. Mm. Um, never been to California before in my life. Never been to this side of the country. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pursue this. And I had job offers lined up out the ass just because of the chemical warfare uh, oh, background. Okay. So I had a... I had a I was going to be a correctional officer out in Victorville. They mm. offered me a job to work for Coca-Cola, making a really really good amount of money mm. um being the kind of like their chemical warfare expert guy for their factory oh i um, need they need those you'll be surprised because really? that makes me not want yeah, to drink coca-cola yeah now. it's it's a you know it's a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes so mm. they they needed a guy that has the chemical uh expertise to do okay. it um but again it was so boring to me um yeah. and i was like you know what no let me just I finally found something that got me excited like a little kid with the mm. giggles and I wanted to pursue this and um, came out here to California and I actually signed up for school a month into California at the Arts Institute of Inland Empire. Yeah, that's that is that uh, that's the funny story I was talking about, folks, is I actually <laughs> remember this guy because. I went to culinary school for a year at the Art Institute. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah, keep, keep going with your story because this is you. Yeah, just to hop on that note, it's so funny because uh, me and him were talking and we're like, hey, I know you. Yeah, and we're, face. And we're like, I know your face. And this is, I'm talking about when I first got here. I went to school 2013. And I was, was like 18 by then. He was young at the time. And yeah. we probably seen each other for maybe a semester or two because I didn't. I was in school for that long. I think I saw you in like one class. Yeah, one I class. I can't remember what class it was, but yeah, that was it. I and remember. from that, and, we, and look at the funny story, uh, 10 years later, whatever, we're, we're sitting here. Yeah, uh, talking about it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so I, I went to school. 
uh, I was, I wanted, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I'm always going, going, going. So mm. I, I was doing school and I got a part-time or uh, a temp job mm. through a temp agency trying to start somewhere. And I obviously had no experience in the kitchen ever. Right. Mm. So I did the research and traditional kitchens, you start off as a dishwasher. Yeah. You know, you, that's the lowest of the lowest. And bottom. I was like, if I could do it in the military, I could do it anywhere. Like I'm, I got that New York, uh, hustle mentality mm-hmm. i got that military driving me i'm gonna start i don't care if i'm washing dishes but i'm gonna be the chef one day and started calling around and i started uh, getting dishwasher jobs <laughs> all over everywhere through the temp agency the wineries pala casino um macaroni grill like mm. all these random places that just needed a dishwasher for the day because they called out other cases mm. and the funny thing is a month into school they saw how hungry I was. They, they will hire me for a dishwasher, but they will actually have one of their cooks dishwashing and have me plating and helping them out with the cooking and prepping and everything else. Dang, so you, that dude got downgraded for you? Downgraded. So I was in the wineries. I, I still remember this. I was at um, Thornton Winery, and mm-hmm. the same thing. That was I was hired there for a dishwasher, and after two days, they pushed one of the cooks to wash dishes. Like, no. He got me one of his jackets. Obviously, it wasn't fitting because he was a skinnier mm. chef. Um, he was like, no, you're going to help me plate this banquet. And at that time, I didn't know what banquets were. I didn't know. He mm. was like, no. I want you to literally, these, there's 300 desserts. I want all of them to look the same. And this is the first one. You see this drizzle? I want you to do this drizzle to every single one of them. And I want you to wipe the rim. And I'm like, uh, okay. Mm. And, and I started, he made me do it like, no, this one looked like shit. You're going to do it over again. And I'm like, uh okay now this time you're still in school right i'm still in school yeah yeah so i'm just like okay so as i'm going to school the these places saw how hungry they saw i was in the school in the school they're Mm -hmm. like they were giving me opportunity and they saw that i had that military uh, you can follow you can follow direction yeah let's do it it okay yeah Yeah. i'm not gonna and these other guys you obviously you know 18 years old kids slacking Uh, i got hung over the night before Mm. and and what would the chef do get back there you're washing dishes yeah and obviously People didn't like that. No, of course not. This guy not. coming in here and taking my job and making me wash dishes and when he's supposed to be the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started going. And long story short, I started applying for all these restaurants and I was working at uh, golf courses. I was doing all that. And I finally started getting jobs as prep cook, obviously, mm. to prep stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got a call back from Pachanga Casino. Okay. And Pachanga, they said, oh, I saw you apply for a steward, which is their version of dishwasher okay. or the guy who cleans up. Um, but you go into culinary school. Mm. I'm like, yeah, I want to be a cook. You know, um, that's my passion, you know, but I don't mind starting anywhere. Like, I just want to get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, well, you know, actually, you know what? We'll bring you in as a prep cook, blah, 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 blah. And I was nice. like, okay, awesome. So they actually started me at the buffet, you know, guy um, stocking up the stations mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. everything else. Um, long story short, uh, six months after I got to the buffet, Mm -hmm. I got, I was the first one to get promoted so fast from prep cook to line cook. And I knew the whole line better than the people that were working there 15 years. Damn. I was literally up and down doing stations. Uh, this is other chef, uh, chef Joshua. He's actually a chef now there at Pachanga. Okay. And we were both cooks. Me and him will go toe to toe trying to see who could get the most guests, uh, (laughs) comment cards yeah okay <laughs> so we actually me and him met and we clicked off the bat and we both had that same hustle mentality and he was from la mm. and i have from new york so we had that east coast west coast yeah 
you know yeah. kind of poking each other basically. competition like yeah. my, i'm better you you better yeah. i'm better kind of thing i get it and we started doing that and to the point where we had people like hey these guys are great but they had to separate us because if if we were in one section mm. that's the only place where people were at so oh. so they had to like put us to kind of like help the buffet out and kind of spread out give we everybody a taste yeah give everybody so, yeah. a taste and we'll be like looking at each other down from 100 feet down the line like, and i'm just like put one finger up in there and i'm like I got another common card. Did you? you? And you know, so obviously from there, um, I got chosen to open up uh, the sushi bar that at that time, Pachanga was doing a whole remodel of Mm. all their restaurants and they were remodeling their Asian restaurant, their cafe and their seafood restaurant. They Mm. were making it into a fusion, a Latin and sushi restaurant. So obviously started from the bottom there. Uh, Is sushi hard to make? It, It seems really delicate. It's, it is. Yeah. It is a whole another art form. Mm. Um, sushi chefs. I I work with some really good sushi chefs, and mm. those guys. And there's a whole documentary in there on Netflix and everything else. <clears throat> These guys, before they even touch anything, they'll do sushi rice for five years before they even touch anything else. Before they make it. Before they make it. Wow. Literally just doing sushi just rice, making rice, rice Damn. before they even touch a fish. That's crazy. Just rice. Doing the wasabi, doing like all the, mm-hmm. you know, the grunt work. Yeah. You say, um, so they're, wow. they're the the sushi <clears throat> culture, like mm-hmm. the sushi chef. It is, has a lot of respect and a lot of culture, and it's a lot of like kind of like military. You got to earn your keep. Yeah. Um, so these guys at first were hesitant wow. to show, show this you. Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx how to uh, mm-hmm. roll sushi. But it got to the point where we were so busy that they needed it. They needed the help, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm here to help you. Like, let mm-hmm. me learn." And obviously, little by little, they started giving me how to make the sushi rice, how to do the wasabi, how to do this, how to cut the fish, mm-hmm. how to do the 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 seaweed. Little tricks they used to do to um, um, make the fish uh, kill all the bacteria. How to cure the fish? You know, they you. You cut the fish with vinegar and salt, and you take it out, and you carry it. Like all these crazy techniques, mm-hmm. and I was just like blown away about how much dedication and how many goes into a single roll, a single sushi. Roll. I love sushi, so it, it is crazy. To and hear it's that. it's amazing. And, and the thing is, fish is so delicate that you know you just think, oh, I'm just gonna cut a fish, and mm-hmm. but the way you cut the fish, it how seems can, easy. Yeah, you yeah. think it just uh, just slice it. It's a how hard is it? No. Yeah. The delicate, the way you, you cut it and how much you could do with the whole fish. You know, mm. like there's zero waste in in sushi culture or in, you know, there, there's literally no no waste. Damn. From bones awesome. to broth to even the bloodline. You know, sushi has bloodline, the mm-hmm. tuna. Yeah. And it runs on the bottom of the fish. Okay. Have you ever seen the bloodline? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking it's about. A, it's like the red piece that goes in the dark. I didn't think it was bread. used though. <laughs> no. So they have a thing for it, which again... <clears throat> it's something I learned. Mm-hmm. They will take the bloodline and they will soak it in, in ice water for 24 hours. Okay. And then they will cut it up and tempura fry. And it was like, it had like a fried uh, liver taste. Oh, wow. But okay. even the bloodline, which you usually cut out and mm-hmm. throw away, they will use and, and eat it. Damn. Okay. Which is. That's fascinating. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I, I would have just, yeah, thrown it away. I mean, obviously, it's first not reaction. amazing, but that's how much, how sacred it is that mm-hmm. even the bloodline that you use. Yeah. All right. So now you're uh, doing sushi, and then what's what's next after this? So obviously, I started off the, as the oyster guard, uh, oyster guy. Uh, <clears throat> never opened up an oyster in my life. Never had an oyster in my life. And now I have 
uh, six dozen oysters that I gotta open up and guests are looking at me and I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, obviously, I got faster and faster. Um, it got to the point where I'll be doing dozens like nothing. We'll be clocking how fast we could open up oysters if I could do, you know, 20 oysters in a minute or whatever the case is. And I got better. And the sushi bar became like the hot spot mm. because it was me and obviously the, the the chef that I was talking about. And we had a 20-person a sushi bar. Mm-hmm. And you have these two big guys with tattoos from the bronx in la doesn't look normal yeah yeah yeah. and these sushi guys around us they look like they're they're tiny Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and we're there like rolling sushi and doing all this and really big looking like we don't belong there in this Mm -hmm. small area and we had the sushi bar uh obviously rocking and going and little by little i started moving up then i got moved to the back side of the kitchen which was the the hotline where we started cooking the steaks the seafood Mm -hmm. um Started doing my time there. Um, from there, people start leaving. You start getting promoted. You start running the kitchen. We started running the kitchen uh, for the chef. The chef got promoted. Mm. And we were two cooks running the, uh, uh, a multi-million dollar restaurant by ourselves, doing everything, making specials, you name it, going crazy. Damn. Um, but the chef we had, he gave us the creativity to go ham. Like pretty That's much good. like do it, but make sure that if you're going to do it, it, it fits in the restaurant's uh, theme theme and mm. you could go ahead um from there i opened that was the first restaurant open second restaurant same thing in the casino mm-hmm. it was the remodel of kelsey's which was a um mm. i don't think i've heard of that it was a sports bar like okay. a pub um but we made it into a, a barbecue and a, a gastro pub oh nice so we did all barbecue in-house we did um burgers pizza you name it we did ufc fights we would serve about three thousand people a day Oh, wow. Like nonstop football games, beautiful restaurant. I was the sous chef there. I ran that for maybe three and a half years, four years. Um, I did, I've done a little bit of steakhouse. I've done a little bit of uh, mass production. We did uh, banquets. Mm-hmm. I'll help out with banquets. So these banquets we're talking about, we're cooking for 4,000, 5,000 people. Literally hundreds and, well, thousands and thousands of steaks and, and fish. And you're literally just there plating plating you have an assembly line mm-hmm. and at the end you have a conveyor belt and you got to keep up because the conveyor belt keeps moving there's one person putting a plate one person putting the steak one putting the potatoes one putting the sauce mm-hmm. and the last guy's putting cleaning the lid yeah the last presentation it, piece boom and and into the hot box and taking it out to the main dining room wow and we're doing thousands of people in 15 minutes just like boom 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 the next party okay next party starts in 30 minutes and we start setting up in another 3,000 people in the next ballroom. Wow. So we did a little bit of that um, to the point where uh, I, I felt like it was time for me to to leave and, and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw there was an opportunity here at Morongo for the sous chef position for the steakhouse. Mm-hmm. So I go ahead, apply. Um, my chef, who was the chef at Umi, mm-hmm. actually applied to be the chef there because they had a pretty much the whole kitchen quit oh so they didn't have no chef no nobody so we me and him both decided to come in and we kind of came in like a package deal you're getting the chef and the sous chef and for the people who don't know chef the head chef or chef de cuisine that has Mm -hmm. many different titles executive chef depending on what yeah type of area you're in uh there's a chef de cuisine is the the head chef of the restaurant Mm -hmm. so there's chef de cuisine sous chef is like his assistant chef or yeah. assistant manager in most places so um and then obviously you have your cooks for the chain of command so mm-hmm. people know. um yeah i remember that did my time as a sous chef the chef got promoted there 
and I got the opportunity to become finally become the head chef of Cielo. Wow, that's awesome. And I finally, I think at Cielo is definitely where I've flourished and went ham. I saw I saw one of your pictures yesterday. Uh, you were doing some plating, and I was like, dude, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, and that was awesome. that was actually a, a I was helping out the banquet chef uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, help out with a party he had. It was like a seventy, a 70 year old birthday party. Okay, so we were doing. You know, obviously, I was helping him play this so we mm. get, you know, having fun. Um, but at Cielo, the my my bosses gave me the opportunity to go like crazy. Mm. They let me my artistic. I was never artistic. Mm. I was horrible at drawing. I'm sticking to like what works. Yeah. Yeah. I I, 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 I'm, I have no. I felt I had no artistic bone in my body. But when it comes to food, it I comes get, through. It comes through, and I definitely went crazy there. And I'm talking about. You can see I have fish that I'll bring in fish that were 200 pounds, a whole swordfish with the head on. And I'm there like cutting it and big old opa fish and moonfish. I mean, sea urchin, uh, escargot, you name it. I brought it in and worked with at the restaurant. Worked with it. Wow. You know, before we before we dive into a little bit more with your now position, you know, yeah. you're basically here. Um, I did want to take a I get I don't know if it's backtracking, but I do want to talk a little bit about. Uh, one thing you did mention about your one year sober. Yes. So, um, you know that would definitely be a struggle. Um, because while you're doing all this cooking, maybe through the years, you're obviously struggling with something else. Um, and even if people don't realize it, so, even though you're killing it in yeah. the culinary world, you know, like so, what was that your biggest struggle? You know, what what was that like? Okay, so this is the thing. <clears throat> it all started before. Uh, I mean, I'm. In New York City, mm-hmm. you could go to the bodega and get a beer at 12 years old. <laughs> okay. There's no nobody stopping you. Mm. Uh, we would be drinking, and I, t- I, just funny, I just finished telling this story uh, two days ago. Okay. You can literally go to the bodega at that time, you know, of 14 years old, 13 years old, with five bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And usually what that's what my mom would give me or my grandma. Like, here, just get yourself a pizza, slice of pizza. I didn't cook dinner tonight, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that five bucks, you could get a 40-ounce which will be an OE for mm-hmm. one ninety nine. Yeah, a ham and cheese hero, which is three bucks. Okay. Or if you wanted to have a candy or something, you have a forty ounce a ham and cheese sandwich for two fifty, and you have fifty cents for back then M and M's or like yeah a Twix or whatever or a bag of chips, mm. whatever. So with five bucks, that was your meal. Okay, and we were all obviously New York City is cold. There's nothing to do after school. We'll be chilling in the rooftop, watching the city view from the roof. Eating a sandwich, uh, forty ounce in the snow. Yeah. Eating M and M's, talking and playing music. Okay. So, that's I think stemmed from that. Uh, obviously, in the military, and I, I know a lot of military guys could tell you this. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing in the military? You literally just drink until you pass out every yeah. single day because you're not around your family, you're mm-hmm. not around your friends, you're in the middle of nowhere. You know, you may be in another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't have anything familiar to you, and, and and all you want to do is after a long day, after spending a month in the woods, because you know you'll go out to the woods for a month, mm. you'll be in a training exercise like me, traveling from state to state. All you want to do is get back and get drunk. Yeah. You know, okay. and that's one thing. Military guys could drink, and we party hard. Mm. And I I believe that um, that transition into the kitchen life which again it's the same thing mm-hmm. the kitchen Just different life, environment different environment what do you do you're working 12 14 hours a day yeah most of the time uh restaurants are always short right mm-hmm. 
seven days a week operations. Some restaurants open, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 16 hours, pretty much, the restaurant's open. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody who calls off. There's always overtime. There's always thing. And what do you do? Most of the time, you need the money. And it's one of those jobs that are low-paying jobs. Yeah. One of the lowest-paying jobs. So you're working 14 hours a day. Uh, practically, everybody's stressed out. You, mm -hmm. you're, you're in customer service. You're working with a whole bunch of people. What do you do? After that, everybody wants to get drunk, do drugs, party, yeah. and then what do you sleep three hours if that, get back on, open up a Red Bull of coffee, and Start do it all, all over, over again. again. <laughs> Cigarettes, yeah. you name it, cocaine, drugs, people do it all to keep stay up and, and do it. And I think all those lifestyles just kind of went back to back to back to back to. It's just a chain. It's the a chain of all this. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. I'm, maybe I look for the excitement and the, mm. the I like the struggle. But the kitchen life is definitely like stressful and all that. So obviously at this time now, I'm married. I got a daughter. Mm. Um, uh, I have a son. And I've been battling with trying to quit alcohol for a long time. Okay. Um, I started seeing myself. I, I put, I found something clicked in my head. I'm like, I'm finally a chef. I want to keep moving up. I have a goals in mind. I want to take care of my family. Um, and I need to start changing this. And all this happened during COVID. Ah, uh, COVID was definitely an amazing year for me. It wasn't bad. It was actually good for me. Okay. In the sense of, I thought I was going to lose my job, obviously, because the casinos, everything were closing. We didn't know what was going on. This yeah. COVID thing was new. Mm. Um, I was able to go home and actually spend time with my family because that's probably the most time I ever spent with my family ever. Yeah, it was probably like everyone else, too. I've yeah. never spent that much time with my family Ever, even since I was 12 years old, because it was either working, my mom is working, I'm working, school, something. I've never spent that much time so with So this was family. like a break, in a way. It was just like a, like, you pull the video game out of the wall, and mm -hmm. that's everything it. Stops. Everything stops. It's yeah. like a pause. Like, the whole world just went frozen. I literally had a peacock. I posted the video in my yard. Mm. I'm like, is there peacocks in California? Literally, in a, a zoo, I think, but yeah. A peacock. Like, I, the video just popped up on my timeline and I had to find it again. <clears> there <throat> was a peacock in my yard and it flew to the neighbor's yard. I'm like, what is this? Nature's taking over? Is this one yeah, of those? Like I one of those just, videos? Yeah. Or what, movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so good for me because then I finally started uh, getting my financial ready. Uh, obviously, alcohol is expensive. Yeah. Right? And me working uh, at a steakhouse, um, your taste gets more expensive because you're putting out such a expensive mm. and amazing food and you're trying out these items that you're, you know, you just get to try these amazing liquors and wines and bottles mm. of wines and everything. So I wasn't the guy who would drink all day or drink at work. Mm. I was the guy who would drink into a wine at mm. night, you know, after a long day, sit back, work on menus and all this. But I wasn't the guy who could just drink a Bud Light. Yeah. I was the guy who would buy an $80 bottle a cognac battle or mm. uh, a $60, you know, whiskey or, or this, like, but imagine that every single day. Yeah. It's going to add up real quick. Real and you're finishing quick. like a, a one bottle a night or like the whole throughout the week. Oh, okay. So that's like essentially one person's beer, but you do a bottle, one bottle. One bottle. So gotcha. this, the, your tolerance gets so high that mm -hmm. as a, um, in this industry, you're so used to drinking, drinking, drinking that you're tolerant, you build tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. So even me, I'm not going out and partying and getting crazy anymore. I'm with my family. I'm still having that same habit of coming home and drinking just as much. Yeah. Which isn't, I'm not, like I said, going out there and DIY yeah. and driving, but I'm doing the same thing because I'm passing out of my couch. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, waking up, I've still 
uh, taking care of what I need to take care of, take mm -hmm. my daughter to school, do everything. But I'm hungover. You start being less productive. I work, you're more tired, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it takes more to feel that same buzz and that same thing. So my mm -hmm. alcohol uh, definitely was one of those things where I told myself I need to slow down. Um, and I tried, you know, I tried to like, okay, let me cut half a bottle. Mm -hmm. And then... Try to like wean yourself and off And then try to wean myself and not like... But my body, I'll get nervous. I have I start having chest pains. I I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna buy alcohol. I'm gonna stick to beer, and okay. I'll buy a six pack. Mm. And I'm looking at the time, and I'll finish the six pack like this because the beer is just mm. combination. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, if I leave right now, I could probably make it still make it to the gas station before they cut off the, the alcohol sales. Mm. And I'm like running at one thirty in the morning to go get another tall can or something or or something to get me a quick buzz before they stop selling alcohol. Mm. And I had to be up in four hours. You know, I couldn't sleep, mm -hmm. tossing and turning. So I've tried, I tried, and and I'm like, okay, I started slowing down a little bit. But every time I try to fully give it up, my body would, would, I'll have shakes. Well, you're I'll, in a detox mode, kind yeah, of. Yeah, like, it, but I've been drinking for so long mm. that Harsher. I couldn't do it. My body couldn't do it. I was like, literally, my body was shutting down on me. And they mm -hmm. said alcohol is one of the most worst things in, the, in to come off of, sometimes worse than drugs. Yeah. So I couldn't do it. And I'm like, what the hell? So I have to, my body literally will, I'll have pains, my side will hurt, and I will drink a beer and all the pain will go away. Wow. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I had a, I'm the kind of person, I'm tough. I don't like sharing my feelings. I don't like doing this. And I was like, I need to uh, uh, pretty much, I need to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna, it's okay to ask for help. Like, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It's 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 all right. You could, you could still be a man and mm. still be able to be like, hey, I need help. Yeah. And I woke up actually last year Memorial Day weekend, and I've been fighting this demon for a while, and I'm crying, I'm mm. crying, crying, crying. And I call my wife and my daughter into the room, and I tell her, hey, I want to stop drinking. Mm. And I told her just like that, I want to stop drinking. I need to do this for us. For you, for my daughter, I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better uh, chef. Mm -hmm. I want to do this for us, and I need to stop drinking. And they, they hugged me, and they said, whatever you want to do. So at least I got the support from my yeah. wife and my daughter. That's huge. So the next step was actually trying to take the time off from work, mm. right? So same thing. I went. To, I pulled my director and my head chef into the office, and I pretty much told them, like, hey, um, I want to do this decision. I want to be the best chef possible. I want to be sitting in your seat mm -hmm. one day. And I want to be able to give my all to this company because you guys have been so good to me and giving me an opportunity to shine and become such a great chef that I think the next step I need to do is go sober and I need to go get a detox. Um, I'm willing, if it's possible, to take a week off to go get medically detox and take care of this and I'm going to come back 110%. Mm -hmm. And my boss was like, hey, take whatever you need to take off. I was like, I don't want to go through... Any type of HR, I'm just reaching yeah. out to you as my bosses and as a, a trustee. You guys being such so good to me, if you could, guys can give me this week off. Mm -hmm. And they were like, "You take whatever time you need." That's awesome. And I was wow. just like, "I'm like, look, I need to do this soon. Like, and I'm sorry, short notice. Remember, this is all during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I know we can't find coverage. Like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Just take the week off." Mm -hmm. So I called this place in Palm Springs, uh, Banyan, <clears throat> and. Uh, my wife and my daughter took me and obviously they want you to do a 30 day and all this and I'm mm. like no you're like I got a week I got a week yeah. and I was actually trying to do three days and I've called 
um, different places and and different uh, uh, rehab centers, and mm -hmm. they're like, no, you cannot do a three day detox. Like, are you crazy? Yeah, you need you can't do that. You, you have to stay here. Right? You have to stay here a month or whatever, two weeks minimum. Mm -hmm. And finally, that's the only place they said, look, we'll give you a week. Wow. And if we're, we just go by it, if you need longer, please just be open to, to staying longer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, but I'm only staying a week. And <laughs> you already had the mentality like this is done in a week. I'm done. I just yeah. needed a detox. I'm like, I don't need anything else. And I went in there and they were definitely really helpful. And they take your phone away, which was crazy to me. I'm like, what do you mean? I can't talk to my wife whenever I want to. And they're like, no, it's sometimes the outside world is has influence. Influence just so I was going crazy and. That Sunday, I couldn't wait until I see my wife and my daughter come and pick me up. And I all I needed was the week. And they wanted me... They obviously, they're so scared because they've seen so many people relapse. Oh, yeah. You, you get out and then, like, it didn't work. Like, and it didn't yeah. work. And they seen people, you know. And I tell people, look, I you're not done until you say you're done. Yeah. And I was done. Mm. I was literally, like, fed up. I'm like, I'm not going down this road and I need to fix myself. Mm. And all I needed was that 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 one week to help me medically get detox and I took all the those pills and everything home with me and I was like I'm gonna do this on my own mm. I just needed that initial one week and that first part and I did the 60 day detox at home I finished off and I started my uh, physical journey in November mm. and uh, yeah I saw your picture uh, to where you were to where you are now I yeah like, Dude, and I lost, I've, since November I've lost 80 pounds wow and obviously sober for a year I just hit my one year sober uh, this Monday yeah I saw um, and in November I'll be one year fitness and I'm down 80 pounds my goal is to do the 100 pound mark mm. I got like another 25 pounds to lose which been becoming the hardest but yeah um, but I'm trying to meet that November uh, 100 pound mark. That one year, wow. 100 pounds. Well, that's impressive, man. Congrats. That's appreciate it. Thank you. I, people don't realize uh, how hard that shit is, physical and, and your, you know, your sober lifestyle. Thanks, dedication, man. I tell people you could literally. I know it sounds corny, and a lot of people think like, oh, it's just motivational quotes you see online. Mm. No, you could literally do whatever you you set your mind to. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Yeah. It may not be, and everybody's journey is different. Mm -hmm. To you, let's say you wanted to lose 100 pounds, it may take you two years. Yeah. But guess what? And uh, Any progress is better progress than no progress. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. So any progress is better than no progress. Even if it's one inch you're, you're, you're scrolling along, mm -hmm. that's way better than doing uh, no progress at all and so not even giving it a try. Yeah, I always think of this quote uh, about... Um, yeah, what, yeah, whatever progress you are making, you're still you're still making more progress than the person sitting on the couch. Exactly. So like, yeah, it, it could be something small, but you have to like, you know, you got to appreciate that. Yeah. You, you definitely got to appreciate it and and I'm the kind of person that I'm open. Mm -hmm. I'm not scared to share my deepest thoughts or anything and uh on this journey, I know social media is also not always that good, yeah. but I also think it is there's a lot of good in it also. Yeah. And I've been really open with my journey, um, sharing just because I want to be able to help one person. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people, um, even it's funny. Um, <clears throat> what's his name? Uh, action Bronson, right? You know okay. Action Bronson? Is? Yeah. Yeah. He's a foodie, a rapper, um, um, food network guy. He, he, he's a, a he's done a lot of stuff. He's done shows. He's, and Action Bronson kind of went through the same journey, and he's mm. lost a hundred and something pounds. And I started seeing people, uh, a lot of people who dedicated themselves, mm -hmm. who had kind of like the similar struggles that I had, 
you know, and that shouldn't define nobody. Mm. You know, just because I grew up in the Bronx yeah. and I had a people getting shot right in front of me and people getting killed and all this other stuff shouldn't stop you from getting to where you need to be at right now. Yeah. A lot of people see me where I'm at now. They will never know all the stuff that I went through and all because I always carry a smile and I'm like, hey, let's do this. I'm always trying to be positive. And they see the end saying. result, not the journey. Exactly. It happens in everything. With everything. And, and you know, some people, and obviously there's going to be a lot of people out there that don't understand and they'll be like, how does that guy get that or this, that? Mm -hmm. And I've the number one advice I give to people is just like, Instead of assuming and 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 hating, yeah, ask. There's a yeah. lot of people who are willing to share their journey and and show you the right way how to do things, mm -hmm. so you can start your own journey instead of uh, hating and, and talking behind the screen. You never know what people are going through or what they've gone through to get to where they're at. Agreed. Yeah, and and I always think of the the word lucky when people use that. Yeah. For a lot of people's uh, success, I hate that word. Um, I talk about it all the time. I hate when people say like. You know, for for you, they some people might call you lucky, yeah. like oh you're here, and like I hate I hate that word because it it there's a good quote from uh, Peter Dinklage, that actor from uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, and uh, he talks about how saying the word lucky to people from when they've achieved something, um, it just cheapens hard work. Yeah, dude. like you don't realize their journey and all the hard work they put in to get to where they're. You're at. not giving them their props. You're yeah, not giving you're them not. their flowers. I, you're pretty much just like, word. oh, you're lucky. Yeah. No, what I about all this? You didn't see all the stuff that you don't know what they went through. You don't know them putting in twelve-hour days, put a strain on their family or their relationship. Yeah. You don't see all that. Mm -mm. You don't know. Hey, I'm I'm doing these twelve hours, but I don't know how I'm gonna get to work because I don't have money for gas today. But I'm gonna somehow get to work because I I'm almost this close to my goal yeah. and to this promotion that I've been working so hard for. People mm -hmm. don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's awesome, man. I'm I'm glad you shared that. I hope other people can, you know, uh, listen to that and get motivated, inspired. Um now let's talk about, you know, where you where you're at now. This journey led you to, you know, the steakhouse and I know you talked about this new promotion you got going on. Yeah, so this last year, like I said, it's been a blessing. Um <clears throat> I got myself out of uh financial uh, issues. Uh I've gotten a promotion at work. I went from the Cielo Chef to Cuisine to the marketplace executive chef. Um the marketplace is gonna be a culinary journey that we're gonna be taking people like not seen before in the casino. Um it's going to be, think of any marketplace you guys seen uh, from San Diego to Anaheim Packing District to Seattle, how uh, you have all these little small restaurants inside these buildings or even outside these marketplaces, and you want to try all this amazing food. You see tacos, you see lobster rolls, you see uh, little bao buns, you see all this, but now you're going to see this whole experience, but for one price. So you're going to come into this marketplace. You're going to have fresh pasta. You're going to have fresh seafood. You're going to have pizza made to order. You're going to have uh, fresh pastries. You're going to have a root beer float. You're going to have a nice. barbecue that we're going to be uh, smoking overnight, brisket. All this stuff is going to be made to order. And you're going to be able to try all these different things instead of uh, paying for them uh, differently. And like, oh, I'm, I'm already so full. I had this. You guys got a price? Loaded hot dog. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, this loaded <laughs> hot dog. And but then I want to try that pizza also. Everything's going to be obviously miniature, smaller mm -hmm. portions, but you're going to be able to try it all. So it's going to be kind of like, don't want to say the word buffet, but a, a, all you could eat. You're mm -hmm. going to be able to try all these amazing food for one set price. And on top of that, we're going to have a, a oyster bar in front. And the oyster bar is going to be obviously separate from the marketplace, but it's still part of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Where it's going to be like a, I believe it's, 
anywhere, I think it's 12 seats, um, where we're going to have kettle cooking, where you're going to be able to have gumbos, jambalayas, mm. uh, base, chipinos, all this amazing seafood, fresh oysters, all served to you right in front of you, and they're going to be doing li- live cooking and all this, and it's definitely going to be something uh, new to this area. You don't have to go to yeah. Vegas. You don't have to go to LA. You're actually going to find it here in Cabazon. So. That's cool, man. Um, You know, you get to use your creative side with it. They give you some range. Yes. they, they That's that's what's so fun. They, they kind of actually brought me on board because they know, um, obviously, I love food. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, when you look at chefs, uh, a lot of chefs just choose one cuisine mm-hmm. and, and stick, stick to with that. It. Like and obviously that's amazing, you know. There's Michelin star chefs that are Michelin star chefs because they they have world renowned pasta, just say yeah. pasta, or guys they do barbecue. Or, mm. But me being from New York and it's kind of uh, yeah, I love the mixture of flavors and I just love mixing everything. Mm. Like to me, I don't consider me one type of cuisine. I wouldn't be consider myself a steakhouse chef. Yeah. I wouldn't consider myself an uh, Italian chef or or. Or Spanish chef that cooks only Mexican food or Puerto Rican. No, I consider myself just a chef of the arts, pretty much. I love all types of cuisine from all over the world. And mm. I love fusion because so much, there's so much food out there that tastes amazing. And then when you actually mix it, you know, like we're going to have just a sneak peek into like birria ramen. Okay. Or we're going to have a barbecue uh, bao bun. So it may be like American mixed with, you know... Korean. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of crazy ideas. So trust me, you're gonna be like have the crazy loaded mac and cheese. You may have, I mean, you're just gonna be like definitely, definitely uh, blown away with all the stuff we're gonna be having. Ah, oh, dude, that's amazing. I mean, congrats on the promotion. That's cool. Appreciate I'm it. sure it will a lot of hard work to get to that position. Definitely a lot, and a lot of stuff behind the scene. You know, we're we're, we're planning to open early next year. Mm. Um, with the oyster bar opening, hopefully in December. Um. So you at least get a sneak peek into what the marketplace is going to look at with the Oyster Bar. But it's going to be definitely, uh, I'm excited to share all this. And I've been working really extremely hard with other chefs, uh, trying to bring you the best food and the best content uh, for this marketplace. It's definitely going to be like a tour throughout the world. It's definitely going to be amazing. That's cool, man. Um, I also want to talk about, I saw your post about this mental health uh, like food thing. Yes. Mental health re- uh, really got me at first you know that's what drew me to it but then uh the food concept i thought was cool yeah so obviously with um kind of like what my story is you know the the Mm -hmm. long hours the stress the drugs the the um everybody knows what one famous chef that everybody knows is anthony bourdain right yeah everybody that's a household name everybody it's it's kind of like kobe like i'm looking at at the wall like people know know kobe all around the world and people know anthony bourdain right yeah Anthony Bourdain, how he died. He died of suicide. Yeah, that was rough. It was rough. It was actually a shock. And people grew up watching Anthony Bourdain and watching him on TV and his Mm -hmm. journey, the way he did, just the way he did things of going around, talking to people, just like how you talk to people. Mm -hmm. And the normal guy sitting there and letting them talk over a beer and food. And that Mm -hmm. I feel that's the best way of connecting people, over food and drinks, you know? Mm -hmm. People are comfortable. Food is a happy place for most people, and you're oh, yeah. able to just talk and do things. So um, the number one thing people don't see, and not just in the food and beverage industry, mm-hmm. in all the industry, is mental health. Yeah. How how does it affect our work life? You know, Sometimes we're so caught up, especially in the culinary world, to be tough. 
Mm-hmm. You got to put on this show of, no, we're in the kitchen, we're pirates, we're supposed to be tough. And sometimes, like we talked about, you don't know what people are going through. Yeah. People can have a lot of demons going through divorce, you know, not having enough money to pay their bills, um, just having a really bad day. You know, grandma died, especially now with everything going on, COVID, mm-hmm. uh, people losing their jobs, people losing their homes, a lot of things. And people are just uh, uh, committing suicide. People are hurting themselves. People are hurting others, taking mm-hmm. out their anger on others. So I think it's a conversation that we all need to um, talk about and point out and be able to share our stories. And then on that panel, they have some amazing chefs there. Uh, you know, obviously, they're going to tell their stories, but they try to commit suicide. They try to take overdose. They try to hang themselves. They try to do, you know, pills, you know, drugs, alcohol for me. You know, it's mm-hmm. everybody has their own personal journey. And, and and it's tough, like I said, and and it's like the quote said, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, and it's okay to talk about it. We don't always got to be tough. We always don't got to put a front. So I think that's what tu- I think that's what's tough in today's society is a lot of people just want to look tough and like yeah, they don't realize that yeah, it's okay to not be okay. And I think it also <clears throat> comes a little bit from just like this man mentality that yeah. men always have to be strong, right? Yeah. And like nothing ever is wrong with them. But dude, like. You gotta realize, like we we do. It's we, the we macho. Have problems. It's the macho mentality. It is of, yeah. of like, no, we're the man. We we don't show no weakness. Mm. You know this, but it's again, like, no, that's what's wrong with so many past generations, and yeah. and even like we talked about off air uh, with the autism. You know, back in the day, people thought it was just mm. a kid misbehaving. Now it's labeled autism. These people, you don't know how many people who actually grew up in this world who actually were autistic. Yeah, and it wasn't labeled back then, and. And they're like, oh, he's just a bad kid, or this kid is just dumb, mm. you know, using those kind of words. He's, you know, the R word, mm. and all this. And you're like, wait, he actually had something wrong with it. He actually needed help. And yeah. I think this whole macho uh, mentality needs to go away. Not in the sense where we lose our mas- masculinity, but of uh, being able to the communication. Yeah. Being yeah, I don't, able to I don't talk think about the it. masculinity will go away, but the communication yeah, the part communication needs to more be of it, bigger. We need yeah. to be able to open up and, and break down the shell and be able to t- mm-hmm. ask for help because you don't know who... Who needs help? Yeah. Well, I like this mental, uh, you know, food thing. That's awesome, man. Yeah, um, and it's... Are you going to share your story there, yeah, too? Yeah, or? I'm going to share my story. Like I said, it's going to be other chefs there. Um, it's open to the public. Oh, and, wow. And again, um, I'm going to be sharing the Zoom uh, link. Okay. Uh, so people could click watch on online. it. And you can watch it anonymously. It's through Zoom. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put your name on anything. You could just listen. You can ask questions. And obviously, people are going to tell the stories and... It's for everybody. Again, That's we're cool. doing it because it was the chef, um, Fiona. She she brought it up, mm-hmm. and she started asking questions. And there was a lot of chefs who are willing to share their story. And she put this. I think she's doing an amazing thing putting this together. And I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah I'll sign on. You know, I'm willing to share my story and hopefully help somebody out and do something. And I talked to some of those chefs and heard their stories. And it's 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 gonna be one of those tear jerkers where like you're like, wow, I can yeah. connect. I've been in that situation and and do this and. Um, I think it's going to be amazing, just not for food and beverage, but for any type of, anybody who's going through anything, mm. it's okay to to feel a certain type of way and feel depressed. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be feel overwhelmed. Mm. You know, if you're a mom sitting at home, kids driving you crazy, and you know, you don't know what you're going to do, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And and I think this is good. It's a good, uh, a good thing for us to talk about it. Definitely, but the food is just like an extra perk. Hey, just an extra like, perk hey, perk. doesn't matter. We're we're chef on TV or we're chef on Instagram posting food, but that doesn't mean that we all don't go through struggles either. Definitely, I, yeah, that's huge. I think uh, more people need to be like that. 
Um, well, you've definitely had an interesting life, man, uh, to get yeah. to uh, where you're at now, you know. So I am curious on, you know, um, what does success, you know, mean to you? I know everyone has their own version, but um, you've had quite the journey. Yeah, um, to me at this point, uh, obviously success, success to me could be like, hey, I made it to an executive level mm. or I, I have a house on the hills and yeah. that don't mean nothing to me. I'm To me, right now, success to me, I'm trying to do generational success mm. in a sense of where I'm not technically doing all of this for me. I'm doing this for my bloodline down the line. Mm. So for my daughter, for my grandkids, for my great grandkids to be set up for for success in the future. Um, the biggest thing issue that we have growing up in poor neighborhoods mm. is that no generation is taking the necessary step to set up their future bloodline or their future family members and everything gotcha. else. Um, it's the same cycle. Mm. A lot of people are stuck in that same cycle and I want to be the first one to break that generational curse and set up my family for success in the future. Give and them a say, better platform. A better platform, a better future. Just me getting out of the Bronx and taking the military route and getting out of there mm. and opened up my mind to not everything's about New York. No. And I was always like, I'm never going to leave New York. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker until the day I die. But it's more than New York, you know, and that's the situation where a lot of people who are stuck in the town or different. Mm. And I always tell people, go out, move, do something and get out of your comfort zone and see what's out there. And, excuse me, I'm just trying to set up my... Get the daughter, give my daughter a life that she never had of the way I grew up. Like, mm. I don't ever want her to see that the stuff that I saw growing up. I want her to have, I don't even want her to have a back, you know, have that in the back of her mind. I want her to grow up in, in a in a great environment and mm. then set set up the fu future generations for that. So maybe they, down the line, my grandkids will be like, hey, there's a Chef Poppy Hot Sauces in yeah, all... Yeah. And all the Stater brothers, you know, and this is great. This is Grandpa mm. uh, Stephen who set this up for us, and, and my grandkids are, are doing amazing. So that's my success for me. I like I like that idea, um, and the your um, point about breaking the chain because that uh, my mom says the same thing with my brothers and me. Um, yeah. Always like if you didn't like something like in your childhood or something um that we did or um thoughts whatever whatever it may be like break the chain start something new like you know to try to build yourself and like the future like going forward who, who whoever that may be you know no and and that's the thing we're so i love that we're, we're so caught up in a we're so many families growing without fathers and mm -hmm. families and and it's again it's okay for it's okay for parents to split up but there's so many people who are growing up without you know, who have four or five kids and nine in their kids' life and, mm -hmm. you know, who are not setting themselves up for the future and there's always an excuse. And if my mother could do it and get out of uh, welfare and everything else and I could get out of the Bronx of gangs and drug violence and all this other stuff and be at in a place where now I could come home and I have to worry about somebody's waiting outside to stab me, Yeah, that's that's amazing to me. And then I want to set that up, you know, continue to set that up for my for my family and, and keep continue to grow and, and even now, you know, I bring my mother out to, to see me and try to show my sister and my family different things. There's more than the Bronx. There's yeah. more than... There's the more than life. life. There's more than life, you know. Like, yeah. it's definitely more out there. So, And that's what I'm trying to... Um, my goal is to ultimately help out, you know, 
um, kids and show them aid only because you grew up in this environment doesn't mean you need to stay here. You can yeah, your environment do it. doesn't define you, and, it, it's, it, not and it's not an excuse. Yeah, it's anymore. not corny. It, yeah. It's not uncool mm-hmm. to want to go to college or uncool to be in the military, or uncool to do something with your life or do something that you love or a passion. Like yeah. pursue it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. I agree. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, again, uh, the journey has been amazing for you, and I really appreciate you being on, man. Um, and I, I do look forward to that uh, marketplace, man. Since I'm since I'm local, I definitely want to no, check that out. Man. Trust That's me, awesome. you'll definitely be on my on my VIP list. I'm gonna get <laughs> you in there. Um, okay, man. I appreciate no, for it. sure. I'll put you know you're gonna be definitely there. And <clears throat> I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity um, to yeah, share man. my journey and just what you're doing now. You know, giving the, the opportunity to so many people from all walks of life to share their journey and their life. And this is something that people need to see. Um, this is not um, a bougie podcast from there. This is somebody yeah. you're going to bump into in the supermarket or see down the street pumping gas, and you never know what their story is. So mm-hmm. this is a great pa- platform, and I appreciate you being, having me on it. So I appreciate those kinds of words, man. That's the goal. But I'll definitely have you back on in the future when we got some uh, – I'm sure you got more stories. A lot more. Sure yeah, we'll be here all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be here all day. Yeah. But um, Well, I thank you again for being here. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, check him out, you know, at the casino, you know, at Cielo Steakhouse and that marketplace that's coming soon. Uh, I've seen his pictures of food. I haven't tasted it yet, but I know it, it's going to be amazing. So thank you for listening to today's episode. And remember that life is an adventure, so make sure you live it on your own terms. Peace out. You've been listening to Your Adventure Podcast with Dustin Emery. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this podcast. And we hope that you've been truly inspired and motivated. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Instagram at Your Adventure Podcast. Until next time, this is Your Adventure Podcast signing off. <laughs>